0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: 3, 2, 1, the horn sounds and make it a perfect 10! The New York Islanders have a 10-game winning streak, the second longest in franchise history, with a 4-1 victory here tonight in Brooklyn
2: over the Ottawa Senators. You know, I was brought up in the age and, and everything where you protect yourself at all times. Myers, a drive, and he fired wide, and the
3: Blues should have a break. Here they do. It's a three on O. Unbelievable. Shan, three on O. Can he win it?
4: Uh, With that, we bring you into another episode of Our Line Starts. Liam McHugh, Keith Jones, Patrick Sharp, another episode. It's my first episode. Yeah, I was just
1: going to say, good to see you, buddy. Yeah, it's good to
4: be back. It's good to see both of you guys right now. I don't really like being on any sort of camera without makeup on when Patrick
2: Sharp's here. It doesn't feel fair. It's not great. No. Jonesy (laughs) just set the world record for shortest time in the makeup chair today. It was like 30 seconds in and out. All natural. natural. He doesn't need it. Natural. It's, it's yeah, efficient, yeah. really. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that uh, protect
4: yourself uh, sound we just heard, which is from Milan Lucic, which we're going to talk about a little bit, that's, uh, I feel like that's Mike Milbury at any moment. Yep. Didn't he say it's to Bob McKenzie? Yeah, like, he did. TV?
1: And if you work with him, you know it, too, because yeah. he'll hit you in the arm if you bug him. You're not allowed to touch him. Yeah. There's certain rules that Mike has that you have to follow.
4: I think the first time they were on together, didn't he, like he said, Bob, when that red light comes on there are no teammates out
1: here. (laughs) That's a a good way to start
4: a relationship, (laughs) isn't it? All right, let's talk to to you guys about what's on tap here for our line starts. Islanders streaking. Ten straight wins for them. Michael Farber's going to go one-on-one with Matthew Barzell. Mentioned Milan Lucic will not change his game despite a suspension. And from this ongoing feature, your favorite goal of all time. Both of these guys will pick their favorite goal. But let's start with Milan Lucic. Two-game suspension, he clocked Cole Shepard, Sherwood, excuse me, saying he was just defending a teammate. Despite the suspension, he says he is absolutely positively not going to change the way he plays.
2: I mean, it was pretty clear the guy, uh, whatever you want to call it, slashes their spears, the goalie, and just standing up for him, and it's a school year right out there. You know, He, he, you got to defend yourself uh, or else, uh, or, or, or defend your teammates, or else uh, you kind of get walked all over, and you know I was brought up in the age and and everything where you protect yourself at all times Sus- suspension doesn 't won 't change that uh, moving forward
4: okay initial reaction to that he did get backed up by his g m mm-hmm. but and he gets a two game suspension he 's not going to change. You heard that if you were his teammate, you would say?
1: Well, you're happy about it if you're his teammate because part of his job is to make sure he keeps the other team on edge. And once in a while, he's going to go over the edge in the way that he approaches things, though. But he didn't like that extra poke there against his goaltender, and he felt like he should deal with it. He he does. It's uh, excessive and deserving of a couple of games but it also sends a message to everybody in the national hockey day that lucic isn't done doing that and the fact that he backed it up with the way he spoke afterwards he's going to accept the suspension but he's going to continue to do whatever he feels is necessary to help his teammates he admittedly it's a different environment today yeah. than it is that's not a two-game suspension back in the day uh, but now he has to be you know, responsible just how excessively he goes after the opponent. But he's going to be there for his teammates. There's no doubt about that. He's
2: got a unique skill set that a lot of players in the league today don't have. That's that intimidation factor, physical presence. Uh, he's protecting his teammates, protecting the goalie. It looked to me like Sherwood... Hasn't been in a whole lot of scrums in front of the net or behind the net, for that matter. Wasn't prepared at all for Milan Lucic coming at me. I'm, I'm not the toughest guy when I played the game, but if Lucic was coming at me, I'd have my hands up and I'd be looking for my teammates. So maybe it speaks to how, how the game has changed over the years, but as a teammate of Milan Lucic after hearing the interview, I love it. That's what I want out of him. You know, it can be intimidating watching guys like Connor McDavid skate around the ice and, and make people look silly with their speed and skill. I like the old-school intimidation factor with Milan Lucic's and, physical presence.
1: And it's not like it's the first time he's no. done that type of play. He did with Zdorov as well, who learned a valuable lesson. And I haven't seen him keep his arms down very often <laughs> since then. And he's been running guys over along the way. So, and Sherwood's going to learn a valuable lesson with this. And thankfully, he was not seriously injured on the
4: Don't play. you think that that's kind of the point that he's making there, where he's like, if you're going to take a little shot, even a small one at my mm-hmm. goalie, this should. This is not a sucker punch now yeah. because you've sort of opened – to him, you've opened that Milan Lucic door. Yeah. You say about the Roman pollock door. Right? you yeah. don't open that door. You've opened the door here. You should expect something, so you should protect yourself. I think – then he said something about maybe I just go lighter. Maybe I just don't go as high. Mm-hmm. And I guess the idea is if you don't hit someone directly in the head, maybe you don't get two games. But he doesn't score goals. He's not intimidating that way. Anymore. Yeah, that's It's a-, a different
1: game. Is this a guy who's just – proving his value, and now this is his value to this team? Listen, he wants to earn his paycheck, and he wants to be a valuable contributor to the team, no matter what he has to do in order to be that guy. So, he probably should have just wrestled the guy down to the ice. I probably would have had the same message, stared him down, and said something verbally to the player. Uh, This one is much more appealing to the eye, if you're watching it, because you're going, wow, that's a message to everybody. Lucic is back. But the reality is, that type of play is no longer acceptable in the NHL. So he's got to find a different way to do it. But it's a difficult spot for him. And that's what you said. I'll try to avoid the head. Yeah, I feel some level of compassion for him because the game changed on him in an absolute hurry. I mean, this was a top-line player with the Boston Bruins when they won the Stanley Cup in 2011. Very effective player, uh, was a guy that, picked up points offensively, was given all kinds of room on the ice because nobody wanted to get near him. And now the rules kind of protect players from him. And this proves that once again. So if you're a guy that wants to be pesky and bother Milan Lucic, you probably can get away with more than you ever did in the past.
2: And remember, he's speaking to a camera. The entire National Hockey League's going to see this. So maybe he's sending a message. Who knows if he comes in throwing punches to the head? Next time, but he's still going to come in there, defend his goaltender, defend his teammates. And, hey, that's a message to the rest of the league that when you play the Flames, keep your head up for 17.
4: Yeah, and, I mean, you pay the fine, and it's substantial, right? 65 grand, Mm -hmm. essentially. But after that, you lose him for a couple games. It's early in the season. You're not really missing his offense. But the intimidation's still there when he returns. And I, I think the give and take from that, from his perspective and from his teammates' perspective, is that we're willing to sacrifice that for a couple games if the next time you're on the ice with him, you're looking over your shoulder.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's par for the course with a player like Lucic. And that's why his general manager backed him up as strongly as he did, saying that he thought it was way excessive, the suspension, didn't think he deserved to be suspended at all when he looked at it. But that's more of a pat to the back of Milan Lucic telling him, you know, you've done well here back in the day when there wasn't a salary cap and there was ways that you could uh, reward a player for doing something that you liked, even though it went over the line, the old hockey school in the summer, the Milan Lucic shooting (laughs) camp would have taken place and he would have been given his money back, but that no longer exists, but you can still verbally at least appreciate what your player in your eyes has done for your hockey club.
4: All right. Let's stay in the West. Uh, let's move on to the top team in the West, and it's the team that is the defending, reigning Stanley Cup champions. St. Louis Blues, best record in the Western Conference, this, despite the fact that Vladimir Tarasenko, their best goal scorer, is out for at least four more months. It was five months at least because of shoulder surgery. So you wondered where the scoring was going to come from. You wondered about fatigue, Stanley Cup hangover. Uh, I had questions about Jordan Biddington just because I, it wasn't a huge body of work. What questions have been answered so far? Are you buying into this St. Louis Blues that they are just picking up where they left off?
1: Yeah, they're going to be a very difficult team to beat on a nightly basis because they are built so well on the back end. And their blue line is better this year than it was last year with the addition of uh, Justin Falk on the back end. So now you've got really the... Th- the three. If you look at the right side of their defense, there is no better right side on the blue line. You got Petrangelo there, you've got Justin Falk there, and you've got Colton Pareko there, who I think is an absolute monster. Yeah. So if you're a left winger going up to play the St. Louis Blues, you're probably not going to score. I mean, that's how good they are on that side. And Bennington's there to back him up. So. When you play the Blues, you're going to do everything you can to find a way to beat that team and score goals against them, and that's going to be the challenge. So the Blues are always going to be a tough team to play against because the back end is as strong as it is.
2: And they'll run into some challenges as the schedule progresses here. I think that Stanley Cup hangover really shows its wear and tear. February, March of the season, the dog days of that regular season game, 60-70, to where... It's like, man, we're doing this again. Right now, everyone's fresh in St. Louis. They're excited to be back at the rink. Stanley Cup championships. they got the ceremonies. The fans are excited. It's easy to kind of carry that momentum over from last year's playoffs. You can say the same thing about the Boston Bruins and the Eastern Conference. Team games are intact. Details are covered. When you're looking at other teams in the National Hockey League, what are they? Some teams like we have watched last week, New Jersey, New York, they're making all kinds of mistakes out there searching for that team game. So I like everything about the Blues. Even with the loss of Tarasenko, I think he comes back healthy for the playoffs. The Blues will get in the playoffs. And let's see how they do around that all-star break to the end of the season as far as the dog days.
4: Well, I wonder about that because is that where it hits? It's like January, February. Are you just at that point saying like, ah, just let's start the playoffs. Let's let's get this going. Like all the wave of emotion, that's died down. Because if that's the case, I mean, this is – vastly different than last season where they're just fighting for their playoff. It was the playoffs from January on for them. Totally different minds.
2: Yeah, and I had questions about the Blues coming into this season because of the run they went on last year from January to June. Everybody on that team seemed to play at a top level. They got the best out of everybody. You can credit the general manager. You can credit the head coach for dragging that out of every one of those players. But I had questions. Is this going to be a team that everybody can reach that high level again and play for 82 games? I didn't think it was going to happen. I still think there's going to be a lull in the season at some point. But the fact is that from top to bottom, this team is deep. It can withstand an injury to a guy like Tarasenko. They can probably take another injury. I don't want to... Put that on the St. Louis Blues, but they're they can withstand some some problems throughout the way and still get in the playoffs. Is that the style? Playoffs.
4: I mean, is that the style play? Because that's interesting is. too. Because I, I think you know we watch them during the playoffs and they go on this run, and then we start to say, well, this is a style. Maybe that just when you get in the postseason works in the postseason. You wonder about the regular season. But here we are. We're in the regular season. They're playing this style. It's. It's not the Tampa Bay Lightning style. No. You know, Tampa Bay rips it up during the regular season.
1: Yeah, so. it's, it's a physically charged style of play where every player is relied upon to play the right way. And now they have a certain confidence I'm sure Sharpie could talk to. And I, I saw it because I was traded to Colorado the year after they had won the Cup. And it was early in the season in November. And every game they stepped on the ice, that team was like, we're, we're here to win this game. It wasn't like, let's go try to win this game. It's we are going to win this game. And I was like, wow, I've never experienced anything like that. It's kind of, It was really cool. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact they raised the cup over their head the previous year. They know they are the team to beat no matter who they're playing on any given night. The team that's playing them is trying to beat them because they are the defending Stanley Cup champions. And the way that they won it, it bodes well during the regular season because of that particular style and if they get away from it Craig Berube is the type of coach that's going to continue to remind them the way they have to play to win whether Tarasenko's in the lineup or not.
2: Three players have really stood out to me on the Blues roster this year first of all the captain Petrangelo is on another level. I know he's always been a great player an all-star defenseman but he's Brimming with confidence every time he steps on the ice O'Reilly picked up where he left off and David Perron is the other guy that's playing to me his best hockey of his career at this age coming off that Stanley Cup championship. There is a certain confidence boost a swagger that goes along with it. You find yourself in a tie game late in the third period, maybe trailing. In the regular season, Game 15, well, they've been in a bigger situation just a few yeah. months ago in the Stanley Cup Finals and done okay. So uh, you have the confidence in yourself. You have confidence in your teammates. And let's face it, it's the same team coming back with the addition of Justin Falk, who's a pretty good defenseman on the back end.
4: You joined that Colorado team. You got to go to the White House, right? I did, yeah. yeah.
1: I did. I met, Big, uh, big moment Clint for you. Were... <laughs> told me uh, you did a great job. I said, thank you. It's all me. Got Took nice total pitch. credit I for things. It was great, yeah.
4: Total it was credit for that. a fun trip. Enjoyed it. It's <laughs> awesome that you got to go to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I got
1: the picture on yeah. the mantle at home. That's for
4: sure. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So the Blues in control in the West right now, defending Stanley Cup champs. We'll shift gears for a moment. Just wanted to let you know we mentioned at the beginning new series that just dropped on Pro Hockey Talk called My Favorite Goal. Our writers, our personalities remember the goals that mean the most to them. Sean Leahy, good Long Island boy, kicked things off with a story on Darren McCarty's famous goal from Game 4. Of the 1997 Stanley Cup Final, you could check it out: NBCSports.com/goal to follow along all season long. All right, we're gonna get into goals now? Should we do that yeah, now? All right. Why not? Favorite goal? Do you have it well, picked out? My, you my, know what it is? I
1: do, yeah. Mine was Ron Hextall's playoff goal when the Flyers goaltender scored. I think it's, it's 1989, April of 89, that he scored against the Washington Capitals. And I mean, it was just an awesome thing to see. It was on every highlight show during that time, and it was such a remarkable thing. The remarkable thing, he's already, he had already done it once previously, and it was not a cheap goal that bounced in off a defenseman or someone else shot it in the net. He shot all the way down the ice and scored a goal. And I just remember saying to myself, how many other young kids are going to try to do this every day that they step on the ice? So when you're looking at memorable goals, they are the ones that other people try to emulate and try to perform. And Hextall certainly set the bar high, and I'm sure that Marty Brodeur would tell you it had some effect on him Uh, and the way he handled the puck from the goaltending position.
2: I thought maybe you are going to have the primo Overtime goal yeah, against yeah, Pittsburgh, good. because I know you had such a big role you, in that goal. You I were a plus. plus. You were a plus. I got a plus. <laughs> yep, my, my favorite goal, uh, there's a couple to choose from. I should probably say the 2010 Patrick Kane overtime goal, but I give him enough credit for that. So we'll we'll pass on that one. <laughs> I'm going to go to one when I was a kid, 10 years old. It was the 92, I believe, cup final, Minnesota, Pittsburgh. And it was Mario Lemieux just kind of dancing his way through the neutral zone, little backhand, forehand, and then back to the backhand side again on John Casey. It was uh, a goal that everybody's seen, I'm sure, at the time. I had a huge passion for the game of hockey, 10 years old. I was a right-handed shot. Pittsburgh was the best team in the world, and it was uh, all about Mario Lemieux, so I tried to do that move time and time again. Never quite pulled it off the way Mario did, but that was about as smooth as it gets. Oh, well, no, it's a statue.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. It's not a great statue. It's really not. No, the it, goal itself. Yeah, the goal. Much goal better great. than the statue. Stats, <laughs> so it's tough to do a statue with two defensemen getting deep and the <laughs> yeah. goaltender not stopping the puck. But. Here's
4: the thing if you're one of those defensemen, you're a statue. Yeah, and they look like <laughs> yeah, statues and they did on the plate, exactly. too, so You're immortalized thing. forever in that position. John
1: Casey's in a couple of goals, too, because one one of my more memorable goals was Steve Eiserman slap shot, shot against shot, the yeah. St. Louis Blues when the Blues were really heavily favored at that time to Gretzky go on was and try on to that get team. that first Stanley Cup. Yeah, Gretz was there, and Brett Hall, and Eiserman and, uh, walked in and blasted a slap shot. It wasn't uh, the greatest uh, spot on the ice to score from, but it was a tremendous shot, and John Casey was in net for that, unless... My memories fail on me, but I believe
2: he was. It, it never fails. I don't want to yeah. beat up on John Casey, but we used to always pretend <laughs> we were John Casey in road hockey and we would our approach as a goaltender would just attack <laughs> defensively <laughs> at whoever was coming. I don't know if that's the best style to play in the net, but John Casey had a pretty good career. Yeah, he did. It sounds like you're saying it may not have been the best style <laughs> It didn't work very many times. Right. Well, this is a...
4: Uh, Something we're going to continue with throughout the podcast and throughout the season online, My Favorite Goal. Uh, plenty of hockey to talk about those. Sabres and Lightning face off from Stockholm, Sweden this weekend. We're going to have a mystery caller check in, a legendary ex-Saber. But first, the New York Islanders have won 10 straight games. Michael Barber sat down with Matthew Barzat.
0: Did we see the Lamorello trots effect on the Islanders last year? I think so. In what
5: ways? Um, I'd say just off the ice, uh, Lou kind of just tightened everything up a little bit. Just um, you know, just whether or not we were on the road, the dress code, um, you know, facial hair, all that, you know, the hair, all that kind of stuff. And then um, definitely just the professionalism. Yeah, off the ice, for, you know, Lou definitely um, got that going. And then um, on the ice, Barry. I mean, um, obviously, just instilled a, a great game plan for us every night and. Um, the detail that he brings to coaching and to our team, and you know, along with Lane Lambert and, and the rest of our staff, just the detail that was there last year was, was pretty incredible. Just every game, day in and day out, they were uh, they were giving us um, a game plan to to win, and um, every game was big. You know, they really make sure that we know every every point was big last year, just because that Metro Division is so tight every year. So. Um, you know you don 't want to be hanging you 're hanging your head at the end of the year because you miss out on a point here or there in in march or, or February, so um, they definitely put an emphasis on every game and I think that was great for our team
0: What adjustment did you as an offensive
5: player have to make we 're going to need a power play to come through or, or a top line to come through so um, but last year it was more just uh, it was a very a very team orientated um, franchise and uh, you know that 's why we did well you know we don't have um, you know, too many, too many big uh, big names throughout the NHL, too, too many superstars. So it's, it's uh, a collective effort every night, and uh, we definitely did that last year. Um, you know, some nights playing 12 minutes, some nights playing 18 minutes. Uh, just depended on what, what we needed that night, and I think Barry does a great job of, of managing the game, managing the game clock, and um, holding on to leads.
0: Was the drop in your point total collateral damage to the fine years that the Islanders had?
5: um i don't know if it was collateral damage because uh i mean we we made it to the second round of the playoffs and a little point point uh reduction i mean to go play two rounds in the playoffs play against cindy crosby i mean i you know it doesn't matter to me what what kind of numbers you have and then um that was that was more you know halfway through the season that's when we were in that playoff hunt it was you know that was that was our one goal it didn't really matter i think best part about it was we don't have two, we don't have any ego on our team so it's uh didn't matter who was scoring. Who, you know, just mattered if we won the game. And definitely down the stretch, that was a case. And um, we followed that right into playoffs. And I think that's why, why we had success last year.
0: Is it a different plan in the NHL to win without that one mega star? Not that you might not be one of those one day. But I mean, it seems that pretty much everybody's right there.
5: Um, I mean, huh, if you can have a superstar on your team, I think going to take him so uh, I don't know um, but our team our team in general just that's that's how we di- that's how we did things last year and that's why we won is because everyone was bought in there was nobody on a, on a, their own page and um, great group of guys a locker room was great every day we had fun and uh, Barry kept it upbeat for us and you know um, yeah it was it was just a, a fun year overall
0: explain the sweep of Pittsburgh
5: it was good. It was, uh, it was, it was cr- kind of a crazy series. It just felt like everything, we got a ton of bounces and uh, every time they would score, or, you know, we'd come back right with another one and kind of weather the storm a little bit. So it was funny how that series worked in comparison to the Carolina series. just felt like we were on the other end of that, you know, in the Carolina series. So it was unfortunate, but, uh, you know, getting a chance to play against Crosby and Malkin in the playoffs, um, you know, ten years ago, I, you know, you told me that I would have probably just been dreaming. So it was, it was a good experience for me.
0: You and Sid have any interactions on the ice?
5: No, not really. I mean, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty focused on the game. You didn't chirp him? No, no. I'm not going to be doing that. Fair
0: enough. What have you learned? What did you guys learn from the, the loss to Carolina?
5: It's tough to say. I think, uh, you know, we we. Gave it everything. Uh, I think it, we just ran into a hot team, and unfortunately, we had we had ten days off in between after sweeping Pittsburgh, and you know they were kind of still in game mode, and it was it was tough for us because we didn't know who we were going to be playing. So um, you know we start we had eight days where uh, we literally didn't know who we were playing, couldn't study a team's film really, uh, so we only had really two days to prepare for Carolina and. It's coming off a lot of practices, that's not, that's not game like, and then getting right back into playoff and you know, mindset, it's, it was tough. So, um, you know, what did we learn? I think just if we get in that situation again, just got to stay game ready. Not that we weren't, it's just it's a hard thing to kind of um, talk about just because having 10 days off, you know, during the playoffs is something you know, it's unfortunate really.
0: Sometimes Islanders players feel like a kid who's divorced parents. Well, one week I got to go with mom, one week I got to go with dad. One week I'm here at the Coliseum. One week I'm at the Barclays Center. Yeah.
5: What about it? Is that how it feels? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's not ideal, but uh, you know, personally, I played my rookie season at the Barclays, so kind of I like it there. And just getting used back to the Coliseum, just the fan base and uh, the atmosphere in that rink. I you know I don't think there's you know a smaller building, so it feels like it's just so loud in there and uh, I think our fan base showed how passionate they were during the playoffs. Um, we had some of the best crowds, I think, in the entire playoffs. So um, I like both places, but uh, obviously the Coliseum's pretty exciting just being in Long Island.
0: Robin Leonard was outstanding last year for you. Now you have a different tandem. What kind of change will that bring?
5: You know, Robbie was a big part of our team last year. I don't think that's a secret. Um, had a great season, uh, along with Thomas Grace. You know, Gracer had a great season for us as well. Um, but Robbie's a little more vocal. He's, you know, in the locker room. He's a he's a good teammate, and I, I like playing with him. It was it was fun. Uh, um, and wish him all the best in Chicago. It's unfortunate we couldn't get him back, and something couldn't happen, but, uh, you know, I think Lou did a great job with locking Varlamov up for four years, and, you know, he's got a pretty good resume himself.
0: Did you watch the NHL awards? I did. What did you think when Robin said, I might be mentally ill, but I'm not mentally weak
5: I think it was uh, was a pretty cool moment just uh you know as a fan and as his friend to see him just going up there and uh, um, just you know I don't I didn't know him you know a few years ago but uh, you know he was great to me last year just advice and um, treat me like a younger brother almost you know give me a hard time here and there and we had a fun fun relationship uh, in the locker room so Seen him go up there and you know, I saw his family there, his wife and kids, it was, it was a pretty cool moment you know, as his teammate to, to watch him just you know, give that speech and uh, kind of see the emotion pour out. And I thought he did a heck of a job.
0: I want to know what your favorite goal has been. Not, not necessarily your goal, maybe it was something you saw on television, um, something a teammate scored, something an opponent scored, but what's your favorite goal of all time? Mm. All time. Yeah, it might be yours, might be somebody else's. Oh. Could be a dangle, could be just the meaningful <clears throat> goal. <clears throat> anything.
5: I think uh, the biggest, the coolest goal for me so far in my career, you know, either has been uh, my first goal at MSG or, uh, you know, Josh Bailey's goal in overtime. Um, game one of the playoffs last year. Uh, made a play; to, He made a great play up the ice and then I made a play to the middle and, um, I eventually ended up hitting the post, and I seen the puck sitting there, and I was like, "Come on, we need you know something somehow get in the net." <laughs> and uh, Bales followed it up and buried it, and yeah, I couldn't have been happier. So, I just remember so much excitement, you know, coming out, just seeing that puck sitting there, and him coming in to bury it. I was, I, I was, you know, I fell, so um, I couldn't do anything about it. So, in the cell, he was awesome afterwards. So it was great.
4: Great stuff by Michael Farber, as always. You look at this Islanders team right now. Ten straight wins. This is a team, I mean, I personally felt like was going to fall probably out of playoff contention this year. I thought the Metropolitan might get shuffled a little bit. Here they are. I mean, I feel like even with ten straight wins, not a lot of respect. Are they, Uh... at this point, I mean, deserving of it, where it's not this is a blip and a nice run, but this is a team that you feel at the end of the day we're going to talk about in the playoffs as, be careful, this is a team that's going to a chance to make a serious run?
1: Yeah, no, nobody's putting up their hand up saying, I want to play the New York Islanders. They're, they're a very difficult opponent to play against. Too. I think they're going to win a Stanley Cup. I, I don't, but I think they're going to be a real problem. I think they could easily get to the same point they did last year and maybe exceed that. So they're a legitimate contender. Uh, they're a team that plays with great discipline and structure. Uh, they're a team that plays the game quickly. They play with speed and they defend really well. Uh, Pulak and Pelik are two of the best defensive defensemen in the game and Pulak can score at the other end of the ice with the big slap shot that he has. So that's probably one of the things that snuck up on me the most was how improved the team's defensive core would be. Now, is that all Barry Trotz? I think it's got a lot to do with it. He found a way to unlock some, you know, hidden talents that a couple of the players in the organization had, but the players have run with it, and they continue to get better. It's not like they leveled off yeah. after last season. That's what makes them dangerous in my eyes. I
2: think it is Barry Trotz. I think he deserves a huge amount of credit for, I wouldn't say turning this team around, but getting the most out of his roster. The guy we just heard from, Matthew Barzell, he used to be an exciting player to watch, but just cheating for offense all over the ice. No more. He's a pretty good 200-foot player now. He can still get better, but you got to sacrifice to get that puck in certain situations. He looks like an, an improved player. The goaltending position, there's no drop-off since Robin Leonard comes over to Chicago, who's played fantastic for Chicago, by the way. Mm-hmm. Grice and Varlamov have been great for, for the New York Islanders. I think it goes to the top with Lou Lamorello, Barry Trotz. It's a good system in place. Uh, the players buy into it. I played against Barry Trotz for a ton of years when he was coach of the Nashville Predators, and they didn't really have the star power that some of these guys on the Islanders have, but the Nashville Predators were always a difficult team to play against, and I credit Barry Trotz big time. Do you think he's
1: better now that he won the Cup in Washington? Uh, For some reason it just seems like he looks like he's more capable of getting over the hump, because they had you guys a few times in Nashville Mm. and couldn't find a way to close out the series. Some hard lessons learned along the way, and he was there a long time and didn't get it done with Nashville, but he's got it done in Washington it looks like he's carrying that forward with uh, with the Islanders
2: right twice we got by Nashville by the skin of our teeth once in 2010 they were missing Shea Weber in the series you know how much that would make a difference and then in in 2015 it was Mike Fisher that missed a bunch of games and Jonathan Taves went off and got two or three points a game in in games four five and six but I do think when you win a Stanley Cup as a head coach your voice carries a little more weight in the locker room um Whether that's deserving or not, I think it is. I mean, Joel Quenville walks in a room with three Stanley Cup rings. He's been there, done that, not just once, but a bunch of times. You're going to listen to him. So I like Barry Trotz. I think he would have gotten me to be a better player at the end of my career in a 200-foot sense. Uh, He's doing that with a lot of those players in New York. and I think those forwards helping out defensively is what making that defense look that much better. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty
4: incredible. You mentioned the Robin Leonard situation. He leaves. They won the Jennings Trophy last year. They lead the league in save percentage this year. So that changes. The system doesn't, and they still get it done. Uh, so 10-game winning streak. Only spent 95 minutes trailing during that entire time, which is incredible. Uh, fewest power play opportunities during that time. So they're scoring even strength here. It's all well good, and it points to the playoffs. Well, let's say they do make it, and they get to the playoffs. We saw this last year. Huge energy boost, the Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. And then they went to Brooklyn, and the energy just Evaporate. And we all saw it, it coming, didn't we? Exactly. So, you fast forward this year, uh, does the arena situation right now with this team and does it hurt them? Uh, and I, I also wonder the fact that you have this arena situation. I know they're going to get a new arena and it's yeah. already going to happen. But the idea of bringing new players in, does, that, does it hurt
1: I, getting new? I, I think that situation may have changed slightly now that they put the shovel in the ground at Belmont because right after that happened, They then changed seven more games over to Nassau Coliseum from Brooklyn. So that tells me that that there's a great uh, chance that they may play every playoff game at Nassau Coliseum. I, I think that's the way, obviously, based upon what happened last year, that would benefit them. The arena is really nice now. Like, they've done a really good job. And I I didn't even recognize. I was there a few weeks ago, and I'm like, man, they really did a nice job here. Did not not look like the same arena, and it was a great atmosphere where the fans were going crazy. It wasn't a sellout that game because that was one of the seven that wasn't part of the package that started the year. Uh, Those are going to be sellouts, all the games the rest of the way, Uh, because the fans there are very appreciative of the product that they're watching and the way that the team plays. So I, I think that's going to change. Not 100 percent sure of that, but I believe it that should change. It was all it? about like, the shovel being in the ground because then it was now it was all about them just being a tenant in yeah. Brooklyn and not necessarily having it be their home rink. So hopefully that's the case when the playoffs rolled around, they spend it in
2: Nassau. I don't want to keep going back to Chicago, but when we were winning those Stanley Cups, the city rallied behind the team. And everywhere we went, in Chicago, you could see the Blackhawks flags. The fans were patting you on the back, pumping you up, getting an exciting atmosphere to play in. That's what the Islanders had in round one. When they went to Brooklyn for round two, you didn't see it anymore. Yeah. You didn't see them tailgating in the parking lot pregame. It was an unfair position to put those players in, I thought, uh, and Carolina won the series. So I think it's a huge home ice advantage to have the Islanders play in it now, so. Yeah, it's an unbelievably loud arena. It's it's it's
4: really one of the intimidating arenas that still left right now. We talked about the goaltending. We do have a mystery caller right now, I'm told. Really? All-time great goaltender. Possibly. Might it be Dominic Hasek on the line no calling way. in this show? Maybe. That's what I'm told in the control room. If it is, Dominator, hello.
3: Hi. hi good good evening. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. I am ex- extremely excited to be talking to you guys and uh, talking to hockey. Very, very good time for the Dominator right now, for sure.
4: You gotta be pretty excited about the game coming up in Sweden, huh?
3: Oh I, yeah, for me I I, I I you know, Buffalo is a very very good team and I I think for playing in Sweden is very good for, for a for a Sabres, for a savers for a fan. I, I I wish for me that uh, Dominator could go play in, in Buffalo as well, but uh with with Buffalo in Sweden, but unfortunately I I uh, I I couldn't play up to sixty-five years old, so it should be a fun game uh, in Sweden for a for the Sabres fans, Yes. Uh,
1: how's your body holding up, Dom? You played such an unbelievable style and goal. Are you feeling okay?
3: Hi, for for me, I, I I I know that I when I play, I I put the body on the on the line. For me, I do a lot of uh, uh, the stretching and, and the splits, and I I. But for me, to now, it's, I, I can't even touch the toes now. So for for me, all, all these splits that I do and all the acrobatic saves that I make I in uh, putting the, the Buffalo Sabres team on my back, it it's it, it had its wear and tear on me, and I can no longer tie my shoes now, Jonesy. Thank you.
2: Dominator, it's an honor to be on the phone with you. Our careers didn't really cross paths too many times, different eras, but I did play against you once at the end of your career when you were in... Detroit, and I think I got three goals on you that night. What do you remember about that game, if anything?
3: I, uh, for for me, I don't even recall that game. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I, I tried for people to get three goals on me, uh, just the team in general, very difficult to do. I, I would have to go back and look at look at the stats to to believe that you had three goals on me. I because I know that when I dominate her play the game the way he wants to play there's no chance that one single player would get the three goals uh on me so uh find that very very hard to believe uh congratulations by the way on your Stanley Cups in uh, in Chicago uh, I used to play for the Blackhawks in case you didn't notice and uh, I know they make a big time mistake when they decide to trade me and keep Eddie Bell I thought that I was the goaltender uh of their future it did not happen, and uh, for me, that's a big mistake. But uh, good for the Blackhawks to finally win uh, after their Leafs. Uh,
4: no doubt about it. That was a huge mistake. I-, I agree with you. You know, you go to the Stanley Cup final in 1999, it, it doesn't happen. Uh, interesting ending to that series. We don't have to relive that. We'll bring you to the next year because right away, 2,000 playoffs, you run into the Flyers, and you run literally into Keith Jones. Keith, take us through this moment right here.
1: I should have asked you how your body's feeling after that hit when I ran you over in Game Two. Oh. How'd you like it?
3: Well, I I, I remember that series. He's a very my I, I, we uh, we play in Philadelphia, and we all know he's the place is a bunch of cheaters anyway, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the one game, uh, the, 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 the slap shot, I believe, from uh, John Leclerc, it goes on the outside of the net and goes through the net. And I, for me, I I don't remember how this puck goes in. I know that I have Dominator has his angle, and I know that I was there, and uh, it's almost impossible to beat me from that area. And the, the puck goes on the outside of the net, and, and it's a, I believe it's a tight game at the time. And, uh that ends up being the game-winning goal, and the only reason why the Philadelphia Flyers beat uh, beat the Buffalo Sabres because I you have to score on the outside of the net in order to be dominator. I was <laughs> I was so good that the the cheating Flyers were able to get biased in that series. That's all I remember from that series. So,
1: do you remember the uh, rookie goaltender and net for the Flyers, Brian Boucher, who beat you out in that uh, first-round series? Yeah,
3: I they, they, I don't even recall the name. I don't even know uh, who, who that is. Uh, it is. It's remarkable that we, you know, a guy like myself, Dominator, was not able to uh, win that series. But like I say, I I don't remember that that goaltender. But I do remember that uh, I I now have to try to stop the puck on the outside of the net, and to me, that is a real a real shame.
4: Well, listen, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we hope physical therapy helps your back, that you'll be able to touch your toes, tie your shoes. And we hope you enjoy the game in Sweden. So thanks so much for uh, calling in. Really appreciate it. Oh,
3: okay, guys. I will go. I uh, enjoyed the pills there now. Thank you very much.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sabres Lightning from Stockholm, Sweden, Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. The Dominator, the great Dominic Hasek calling in. That's a big yes. guest right there. That excellent. really is.
1: Wah was big in the opening shows. That was. was excellent. Poor Boosh.
4: He doesn't even remember
1: him. We don't even let him on the set here with us. Yeah. Yeah, So you can see why. He's forgettable. I mean, it's (laughs) just the way it is. He it's big (laughs) five-hole.
4: And with that, we'll say goodbye. That's it for another episode of Our Line Starts. Remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday throughout the hockey season. Subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts for automatic downloads. We will see you next time.
3: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers